You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. As a British Muslim, I've been asked how I feel about the last night's attack in London. It makes me feel sick and angry. It makes me feel scared for my children and also for myself. All non-Muslims need to be told that this is never an act of Islam. These terrorists have made up their cult and labelling Islam. No true Muslim would commit any offence in Ramadan, let alone carry out an attack. We need to know more about these motives behind why these attacks are being carried out. And we need to stand up for our religion against the terrorist network. Someone needs to get on the BBC and condemn these awful events and spread peace and unity. I just wanted to share my own experience of what happened in London yesterday, which was absolutely horrible. I have a very close childhood friend who lives there and frequents the area it happened, and I had to just pick up the phone and call to see if she's okay because I was so afraid. And it made me realize, though, that I was so scared and affected because it happened so close to me and could have involved a loved one. And yet this type of thing is an everyday reality for thousands of people living in Syria and Afghanistan and other places as well. And I feel like it's more important now than ever that these people are not forgotten all the hashtags and Facebook banners for London. The word Islam means peace. These barbaric people use the word Islam as an act to do this, but it does not speak for my faith, and it doesn't speak for Muslims around the world. This is not what our faith tells us to do. They'll never win. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Uh, welcome to Radio Ramadan 87.7 FM on this uh, very special show uh, here uh, with you from 7 o'clock uh, right through to the reflection show at 9 o'clock tonight um, in response to uh, what's happened in London uh, last night and also what's been happening in the UK for the last uh, few months. Um, myself, uh, Sajid Qayyum, will be presenting the show um, along with uh, my co-host uh, Aman, uh, Dr. Aman Durrani. Assalamualaikum, Aman. Waalaikum salam, Sajid. Uh, and we'll have a number of guests uh, throughout the show. Um, we'll be trying to break the show down because it's quite a big topic that we're trying to cover in response to what's been happening um, in, the, uh, uh, in, in the incidences in London and Manchester. And uh, we are going to try and break it down to various aspects. One will be um, what uh, what we're going how how we should respond to the political aspects of what's happening here, um, with especially Theresa May's comment. We'll be covering the community response and what the community's views um, should be and how we should react to this from a community perspective. And then we're coming on a little bit about um, the community safety aspect, which is very important here. And we'll have people from Police Scotland uh, to give us advice and also um, ask advice from. And then finally, uh, with Sheikh Ridwan with Mohammed, we'll be asking about uh, the. Uh, theological perspective on that. And Sajid, I guess just, just mm. obviously I guess it's important to offer our condolences for all those that have been affected. 
um, both those that have suffered and their families, but also actually people that have been caught up. I remember seeing some of the pictures from last night. I think a lot of children and families were evacuated mm. from hotels, and obviously there's going to be a lot of psychological trauma, a lot of physical trauma for a lot of people as well. So yeah, well we he- you know you hear about the casualties, don't you? And, and, and unfortunately, which is which is bad enough. But what we don't really hear about is you know months from now and people in rehabilitation, and especially in Manchester, which is a horrific attack of, of the worst kind. Using bolt, and, you know, nuts and bolts and a bomb, etc., which has maimed a lot of people. There'll be people out there who have severe disabilities now as a result, you know, loss of limbs, etc. And those are things that you can't, uh, you know, you don't hear much about. Um, on the odd occasion, you may hear about some parents and some some people, you know, fighting back and saying, you know, we, you know, life carries on, which is, uh, you know, an uh, admirable spirit to have. Um, but you know, uh, it's it, the pain and suffering that someone will go through and the change and life change that will happen, that's something you don't hear enough about, unfortunately. And um, many of the listeners would have heard the Vox Pop that was played at the mm. beginning, various uh, views from a few people um, earlier on today. Um, and obviously there's been a lot of communication, you know, in various sort of WhatsApp groups mm. and a lot of mixed views, really. And I think we're hoping to certainly um, discuss and air some of these issues and quite differing views, I think, from ranging to actually things are going to change now to some people saying actually um, why are we keep having to you know as a community it's not our issue these people we don't affiliate with etc so um, and we'll perhaps explore some of that further but yeah, the off I guess from as a presenter yeah. I, I'm not involved with the Radio Ramadan sort of management etc um, and you you know you are I guess starting from the start, starting from I guess it's, yes, it's important to address so I didn't be interested to hear thoughts I mean, why are we doing a show like this in the first place? Mm-hmm. You know, why are we trying to address these issues? Is it not feeding into this whole thing that by addressing these issues and saying, actually, you're on a Muslim radio station now, we're talking about this topic, actually, these people are got something to do with Islam, and we hear the narrative a lot of the time, you know, we've got nothing to do with it. So from a, from a station perspective on the off, why are we doing this show? Yeah, so very briefly, because we do have other guests in the studio with us and also online, which I'll, I'll mention in a minute, as, as a, uh, um, a man, on management member of uh, Radio Ramadan, the ARC, and also a trustee of the ARC is a heavy responsibility. Very simply, uh, this is something which affects us here and now. It doesn't just affect um, the individuals who, who um, have been um, directly affected with casualties or otherwise here in the UK. And uh, we want to get we want to discuss this from, not just from the perspective of what's happened because you can hear that in the news there's a breakdown here seven people have died of course after this attack um, you know a knife attack um, and three uh, people have been uh, killed as a result of that 12 more have now been arrested in another part of London so those are things that you'll pick up in the BBC etc so and so forth but we felt it very important here as a community um, to discuss the other aspects to try and discuss what, what are the ramifications here for the Muslim community what is it um, um, that we should be worried about if we should be worried at all uh, what should our response be as well? Because there'll be many people now, uh, all of us actually, uh, you know, we'll be going back to work tomorrow for many of us uh, and there'll be questions asked once again, why is this happening? And we need to be well informed as to, you know, what our response should be. What is the what does the religion itself say about these, the, these kind of uh, people? Um, not in any way trying to justify or apologise. That's not what we're doing tonight. It's something far, far different. We would never say on Radio Madan that one life is worth... 
you know less or more than another life. Many people have been texting. One of one of our friends has talked about the the, the Battle of Mosul right now, and where dozens of civilians I think have just been killed in the last few days by these same perpetrators, by these people, um, you know, who say they do it in the name of Islam. It's the similar understanding and background, but because it affects us directly here in the UK, and I think that's why it's important for us to understand those those aspects. And I guess one other aspect is obviously where we're at at the moment. You know, a lot of information is still coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the proviso to all of this, but certainly from what we know, and certainly it feeds into the wider narrative, you know, there's been, you know, two, this is the third um, similar sort of, uh, you know, terrorist attack in the last three months. So um, I guess we know that there's, there's many of these issues going on. So, but I guess we're going to focus on the political perspective. Um, and our first uh, first guest, Sajid, uh, I think, is Dr. Abdulbari, who's one of the former Secretary Generals um, of the Muslim Council of Britain. Uh, so, Dr. Abdulbari, assalamu alaikum. <coughs> wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Ramadan Mubarak, and thank you so much Ramadan for joining us. Thank you for thank you for calling in. Mm. Now, I guess what we'd really appreciate is some of your thoughts in terms of you. You've been involved at a national uh, leadership level within. Uh, the Muslim community, uh, a lot of interaction with government, society uh, at many different levels, uh, as well as your long history as being involved in community activism for many decades. Um, and you, uh, I understand you live in London. Um, could you I just talk about, yes, yes. So could could you share your thoughts um, and okay. your reaction to what's happened uh, overnight? Well, um, I have experienced um, twelve years ago the seven seven the atrocities, and that in fact catapulted me from community activism into public domain. And London, under the mayorship of uh, Ken Livingstone at the time, came together and solidified his unity. And I remember after just one week, he had a, a public meeting, a visit in Trafalgar Square, the whole of London came, came together. So the whole purpose of this atrocity, um, as you have been discussing, um, is to create fear, is to create division in uh, between communities. And uh, this fear factor is important. The reason that we need to discuss this is to get rid of this fear and try to know one another, try to build trust with one another. At the end of the day, there is a huge misconception, misperception about Muslims, about about Islam, and obviously Muslims also do not fully, uh, probably are not fully aware of the systems in this country. So there is a gap. So I think this should be an opportunity for Muslims and others to come and discuss and uh, get rid of fear and uh, know one another. At, at, at the end of the day, um, the fact that this has happened in the blessed month of Ramadan, that means it has nothing to do with uh, the, the Daesh's um, um, the demand that they are working for Allah. That's why one of the... Um, uh, there have been witnesses that uh, who have heard this for Allah. In fact, it is against Allah, it's against Islam, against religion. So this needs to be clarified to the wider society by uh, Muslims. And I think after the Manchester attack and uh, London attack, the Muslim communities, different sections of the community have come together along with the others and they have shown this solidarity as we did show. Jazakallah khair, Dr. Albari, and maybe we'll reflect on some of those uh, initial thoughts that you've given. Um, Sajid, do we have our other um, guest online, uh, Brother Jahan Mahmood? Uh, yeah, I think we have to just swap because we have some problems with the telephone, so I think we can swap across. Assalamu alaikum, Brother Jahan. Awesome, how are you? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. 
Thank you so much, uh, Brother Jahan. Thank you for joining us. Um, no worries. It's really nice to catch up with you again. Now, Brother Jahan, you're, um, you've got many different hats on, and I guess one of the reasons we've contacted you, you're certainly an expert in this whole aspect of counterterrorism, etc., um, and very prominent in various media over the last few uh, few years. Um, could you share with us your initial thoughts? Because I know that um, it really just well, I'm interested in helping the community starting to understand and frame and make sense of a lot of what's happening. So from your perspective, who has a lot of expertise in this area, could you share with us your initial thoughts? There's a very small element has started to emulate attacks that we've seen in France. So for instance, mowing people over in a vehicle. We've seen this recently in the Westminster attack by Khalid Massoud. And in the case of what happened yesterday at um, the bridge, London Bridge, men jumping out with machetes. I mean, you know, it's a criminal activity. It's not at the level of what we saw at Manchester. However, I think that the investigation that's taking place needs to try and work out the actual motive for it. Were these guys ideologically driven? And how were they indoctrinated? Was it something that happened online? Or was it one-to-one? I think we have to wait for you know, the information to seep out before we can make that judgment. I think it's just remarkably upsetting um, for the Muslim community in Ramadan once again to be conflated um, by a handful of idiots who unfortunately have once again hijacked um, the Muslim community here in the UK and the entire faith. At a time when most Muslims would have been opening their fast and probably dehydrated and completely out of energy, these three culprits somehow had the energy to go on to do what they did in the name of a religion that they clearly don't know anything about. So that's really my summary, and if you want to call it that. Thank you for that. And I guess you'll, you'll have been followed um, Theresa May's statements and, you know, quite strong language, you know, enough is enough. She's been saying such as um, there's been far too much tolerance of extremism in our country, um, saying that the whole uh, counter-terrorism strategy needs to be reviewed and things that need to get stricter. I just think it's pathetic. I'll just be honest with you. I think Theresa May is pathetic. I think that as, um, and I believe that Home Secretary, she didn't do too well on engaging with mainstream Muslim communities. She didn't want to speak to conservative scholars who are probably better placed to talk to extremists. Try and expect liberal and moderate scholars to somehow get through to the likes of Anjum Chowdhury. And his cohort is asking for too much. He clearly is out of a depth. And as Prime Minister, we've had three attacks in three months. That's a pretty dismal record. And for her to come out before an election and make such promises is just wildly... Um, I mean, it's just wild. It's unacceptable. Do you, th- um, do you think it's a bit of a? I don't believe anything that she's saying. Do you think it's a bit of a game changer as a Muslim community? Are we to expect things are going to be more difficult, more restrictive, even more than it is just now? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, there has been talk about um, internment. You know, um, people who could ultimately be detained without any kind of possible, hmm. you know, I mean, serious charge leveled against them because we have fear they could do something. I mean, if you work on that premise, then you'll be just locking up a lot of people, and that's a pretty bad cycle. Then what I mean by that is if you just lock people up without giving them an explanation, that's just going to further radicalize them. The government hasn't got a good reintegration model for people coming out of prison. And the, the, the kind of in-prison de-radicalization system or program, whatever you want to call it, has completely failed. So, so what are you going to do? Just lock them up 
without any kind of evidence, let them get further radicalised in prison, and then come out worse than they were before they went in. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, really? Um, And this is why Theresa May is just talking big, and they do that before an election or after an event has happened to try and reassure the public. What she hasn't been able to get right for years She's somehow going to promise to get right before an election and thereafter. It's absolute poppycock, I'm afraid, nonsense. But I guess, Johan, one of the issues um, people will be saying and thinking is that clearly you'll be agreeing that something needs to be done. And I guess, it, you, know, it, if you, you know, if you were able to advise the relevant people, I mean, what should be doing? So I, I guess you're not saying there's not a problem. I guess you're acknowledging there's an issue oh, here. Oh, I mean, the thing is, I wouldn't be working and doing derad work if I didn't believe there was a problem. So your why approach would you, why is... Would you give up, yeah, why would you give up your career to do this kind of work if yeah. you didn't believe in it? So your approach is that something better needs to be done in terms of the way of tackling it, so you're acknowledging the yeah. issue. So what is? What, I mean, what are the principles of what you would be saying needs to be done? I mean, how do we address this issue? Well, look, I mean, the thing is there has to be a multilateral approach to this. So far, it's almost been kind of almost unilateral. Well, the government does its bit, and it's called Prevent, and it's just not working when it comes to outreach. 850 people elope and go to Syria, and we've stopped about 100 or so. That's a pretty bad record, a small fraction of the overall number. Um, I mean, that's one thing we have to accept. Now, the media, I mean, you know, people in the media have played recruitment videos on the BBC and then said, look what's happening. We've got a guy from Wales. Oh, he happens to be a Yemeni Muslim and British at the same time. Look at his recruitment video for ISIS. What's he doing in the video? He's recruiting colleagues and friends and fellow Muslims from Britain. I mean, are they stupid that they've just played a recruitment? What do recruitment videos do? They recruit. So essentially, the BBC has just given this guy a platform to recruit. And then the media across the board has given people like Anjan Chowdhury to vent their rhetoric, to pull in people who are like-minded, and to build an even bigger network than he had before. So the media needs to do more. And we have Muslim scholars who are well-placed to deconstruct aspects of that kind of ideology that is being sometimes used to motivate people. And, you know, they haven't done a good job either. And um, there is a responsibility on influential sectors of society. I mean, you can't come out and say, hey, you Muslims need to do more, when, for instance, on a number of events and incidents, Muslims have reported people to the authorities, and they're just not dealt with it. So the average Muslim who hasn't, isn't resourced, isn't trained, somehow now has to become a counter-extremism expert and deal with an issue that the government hasn't been able to get right. You know, this constant finger-pointing and blaming just has to stop. And the way to work on this is quite simple. Everyone in this country more or less knows by now that, you know, like, for instance, I'll give you an example, a new law that was passed. Um, using your mobile whilst you're driving is going to get you into bit trouble, right? Now, we all know about that, and if we don't, we should know about that. And how has that happened? Through the media, through social media, across society. Now, there are elements of Islamic law and jurisprudence that need to get to everybody in society. And I think that we can do that. We can do that if we just work in collaboration rather than finger-pointing. Yes, there are always going to be people with mental health issues and people who escape the, the kind of, you know, the, sure. the net. I accept that. And, you know, my hope is that we can get it right. But so far, we haven't done a good job. And the Tories, to be fair, haven't engaged properly with the Muslim community. And that's their best ally, you know. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, they've just let themselves, and they've let the country down. And Theresa May can come out make whatever statement she wants. But at this moment, her record is three attacks, three months. That's pretty bad. 
So just because uh, I know your time is very limited, Brother Jahan, um, just in your concluding remarks, um, I mean, what advice would you give to, you know, Joe Bloggs Muslims, are going to be, a lot of them will be going to school tomorrow, they'll be going to work tomorrow, and clearly they're going to have to pick up and deal with a lot of these, you know, the, the sentiment here. Um, I mean, what advice would you be giving to Muslims in terms of dealing with what's just happened? When you mean sentiment, what we're talking about, far-right kind of extremists picking on them, uh, other people across society saying that you're responsible for what happened, or be, uh, demonizing them, what do you, or, or am I trying to make sense of the events for them? No, what, what, are you asking them? No, what I mean is that sentiment. So, for example, I spoke to a young person today, just before I came in, right. and he was um, saying, um, I think Glasgow's going to be next, and I said, why? And he said, you know, it's another big city, and this is somebody in primary school age, so clearly they're going to be going to school tomorrow thinking, oh gosh, I'm a Muslim, this has just happened, you know, the, the, you know, the chatter in the playground, the chatter in, you know, with colleagues. So it's really just trying to, uh, should the Muslims be apologetic, should they be as, you know, forthright and challenge and keep raising foreign policy issues? Well, I mean, what, you, what, what... I think, you see, foreign policy is just one aspect of it. I mean, ideology and racism, Islamophobia and kind of media misreporting and negative profiling and stereotyping, personal and other issues, all play into this. Now, Muslims shouldn't apologize for a murderer. I mean, does anyone in society have to apologize for someone who's hijacked their religion and actually ended up being the reason they're being demonized? And that's a bit like saying, right, so-and-so called me, you know, whatever he may have called me. Now I have to apologize on his behalf because I come from the same ethnic group. I mean, it's just ridiculous. We don't ask the average white person to apologize when Thomas Mayer killed Joe Cox, the MP. We didn't say, hey, what, where are all the white people? What are they doing? Where is the prime minister? Well, he's white, right? Or she's white. It's just nonsensical. We can't apply the same logic to Muslims or any ethnic group. That's racist. We've got to, we've got to put, put, put our foot down and immediately intervene at moments like that and call it out for what it is. We have to be brave. Thank Muslims you. need to be vocal. And they shouldn't be afraid of saying it how it is. We condemn any acts that involve innocent people, but the people who are responsible are the murderers. And let's not forget, Muslims are the biggest victims of ISIS. More Muslims have died at the hands of ISIS than any other religious group. We need to understand that in context. Okay, Brother Jahan, thank you so much for joining us, and I think it really helps to set the scene for the rest of the discussion today, and I'm sure it will be discussion for many days and weeks to come. So thank you so much for joining us. Dr. Abdulbari, are you still there? Still there, yeah. Yes, thank you. Thank you for waiting patiently. So Dr. Abdulbari, former Secretary-General of the Muslim Council of Britain. Uh, we were discussing before the advert with uh, Brother Jahan Mahmood about the government response. Um, what are your thoughts in terms of how the government should be responding, and you've heard Theresa May's comments today, very, you know, if it is as, as she, what she has been saying, there's significant ramifications for the Muslim community, organisations, mosques. Um, so what is your sense of what has been said today, or is this just, you know, strong statements that have to be said in the aftermath of a lot of anger? Well, I have seen politicians... Uh, making their knee-jerk reactions after any major incident. I'm not saying that Theresa May has done that. While she says some good things, obviously, as citizens of this country, we agree with the government that protection of the citizens is fundamentally important. Unfortunately, the coalition government that started from 2010, they probably could not make any sense about how to deal with the Muslim community. As the previous um, brothers was, was saying, the 
government was not dealing with the mainstream Muslim organizations, and especially uh, major Muslim organizations that have affiliations like MCB, forces, government was not simply talking, still they are not talking. And um, so in some way, uh, Theresa May's experience reminds me of how um, Tony Blair made his 12-point plan in mm-hmm. 2005. And when he said that the rules of the games have changed, in fact, uh, he wanted to close the place of worship and the ban of organization. That didn't happen. So I hope Theresa May learned from, learned from the lesson. And previous speaker has already mentioned that uh, Muslims are the worst victims of this atrocity, not only in this country, but across the world. Two of the lands have been totally destroyed uh, now by through proxy wars, and this is mainly due to these uh, so-called Daesh, so-called um, uh, Islamic State. And one should appreciate that the community itself is going through lots of trauma because anything happens anytime certain sections of the media certain sections of politicians that start uh, accusing Muslim community as if they are responsible. In fact, the uh, human rights, the legal procedure, and our Quran says, no soul bears the responsibility of another soul. So we, 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 um, how can the whole Muslim community be responsible for the atrocities of those who don't have anything to do with Islam? They attack people in the month of Ramadan when Muslims had been praying Tarawih. So these are the yes. questions that politicians and the media should ask before they make any comments against Muslims. Jazakallah khair. Well, Dr. Obadi, uh, clearly somebody's trying to get hold of you on the phone, so Jazakallah khair for joining us. Um, it's been very Pashtun valuable and, and sharing some of your experiences, so thank you so much. So we've been really focusing with Brother ja- Jahan Mahmood, and also Dr. Abdul Bari about the political aspect and the ramifications. And Sajid, we're going to move on now to um, another section which is really talking about the community and how, how to deal with that. So I'll hand over to yourself, Sajid. Um, so uh, we've obviously heard from the political, political perspective. Uh, joining me live in the studio is Dr. Salah Beltari. Jazakallah for coming in. Um, uh, former um, uh, chair of the Muslim Council of Scotland here in uh, in Scotland and uh, leading member of a number of different organisations. I think it would take too long to go through them all. <laughs> To Salah, from the perspective of a local community, um, is there a need for... We've had a bit of a sense of that from uh, our first guest, um, but uh, is, is, is there any point in us now, uh, uh, and is there any uh, 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 need for us to get, come out a statement um, uh, uh, either apologising or indeed uh, saying um, that we're against this kind of form of murder? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Uh, I mean, these statements have been issued every time something like this happens, and it became like uh, a routine, and some people actually uh, make it, don't, don't, don't really accept it. Uh, and the statements also confirms the, as, the guilt by association which the media puts on Muslims and Islam, and we should really be careful that our statements doesn't really apologize for Islam, mm-hmm. especially, uh, and also doesn't apologize for the main community. We are, I think Muslim community is the one which suffers from these incidents all the time mm. because there's always flashback and there's always attack on Muslims and there's always suspicion and uh, accu- uh, hate uh, crimes, hate words, there's sometimes even violence. 
I'm not saying that this is justifies anything of what happened, because what happened, uh, although it's by indiv few individuals, mm -hmm. is, is horrendous, and it's nothing to do with Islam uh, at all, because in Islam there is no uh, uh, way to uh, justify yeah. attacking people who are going about their own work. It's not only that, actually our advice from Prophet uh, uh, to the people who are fighting, mm -hmm. that in your fighting, People who are going about their own business, don't touch them. Don't go near them. That's even if you are in a war. I see. You are not in a war. And unfortunately, the anti-terrorism policy and uh, experience we had sure. is that it was called war from the beginning. Okay. And this, this really exaggerated the, the position. Anyway, what we need really is more open discussion between the community and the government at different levels. What we hear from people like uh, Theresa May this morning, which is a bit aggressive in a way, mm -hmm. uh, and is going back to the time of uh, Tony Blair, where he recommended 90 days detention, Indeed. all that sort of thing. While it's much better to talk to each other and build trust between the different communities, and that trust will help to dampen this. But the problem of few individuals is something else we need to discuss as well. We'll come back to that point because that's essential to the point about community engagement, etc. Um, we're back on the line. Uh, we have uh, Brother Naim Raza. Assalamualaikum, Naim. Sorry, we got cut off there. Yeah, I'm afraid uh, um, telephone systems haven't improved actually since since the days you were presenting. Jazakallah um, <laughs> for uh, being uh, being patient with us. Um, yeah, so just I was asking you earlier, just before you got cut off, about the the, the sentiment, the feeling out there right now. Yeah, I mean, first of all, obviously, condolences go to the, mm. the families of people who have lost innocent members of their families, and we pray that those who have been obviously affected by injury, uh, that they get to good health. Um, you know, there's fear and frustration, unfortunately, and, and funny enough, I actually live literally a few minutes away from Barking, where the raids have been taking place this morning, um, and possible association of families of the, the three individuals involved. So definitely a lot of fear within the community. Uh, it's another chance for, unfortunately, the, the, the few you know nutcases out there from the other side of the, of the far right. And already there's some stuff going online about repercussions. Uh, and there's frustration, you know, frustration from the fact that these three individuals are taking upon themselves to commit these heinous crimes, but equally frustration as to, to why it might have happened. Um, but definitely very surreal 24 hours, mm. uh, especially in Ramadan, subhanAllah. You know, they, they, I, uh, and funny thing, I've just come back from Somalia, and uh, they were telling me, because while I was there, there was a uh, number of suicide bombings taking uh, taken place when I was there, and they were telling me that in Ramadan, the number of suicide bombings increased because the, these so-called bombers believe that in Ramadan they get a greater reward for killing people. <laughs> and it seems that this has come home mm. within UK as well, that these three individuals, that despite the fact that blessed ones are a time when most of us were in the mosque spring Rawi, feel it was justified to get a greater reward to go out and kill innocent people. So they're just lunacy out there, you know? And we'll discuss obviously the theological point a bit more in depth uh, from, from Sheikh Rudwan uh, and uh, that, the, the very worrying kind of uh, distortion of the religion. However, uh, Naim, from, from your perspective, uh, do you s sense any palpable increase in Muslims' fear now of going on the streets, going out there, uh, worried about repercussions from the community um, who may not understand or be able to discern the difference between such murderers and uh, everyday Muslims? No, without, without doubt. I mean, it, it adds ammunition uh, and adds fuel to the fire, unfortunately, within the right wing. 
um, they've, they've been repercussions in the past and sadly they will be now and even more so when they, we saw the, the media coverage of these raids in Barking and, and women, you know, our sisters with hijabs being taken out of houses just reinforces the, the, the Muslim identity of, mm. of the perpetrators so sadly it means the hijab once again is synonymous obviously the, the individuals have one or two pictures that have been shown mm. it's definitely going to add fuel to the fire unfortunately Jazakallah khair for name for coming on, giving your viewpoints is much appreciated. Uh, hope and pray uh, uh, that uh, things will, in, uh, it, 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 you know, the difficulties will always be there for a Muslim community, but uh, that things will uh, get better uh, and more positive. Jazakallah khair name. But you know, I, I think before as well, equally yep. it's an opportunity for us to yeah. come out, mm-hmm. point. Uh, as we have in the past, to, to come together with other communities that mm-hmm. we should mm-hmm. overcome the fear. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, yeah, propagate who we really are and what we're really about. And, and it's, it's our challenge as well as anybody else's. Even though I, I, I'm, I'm not really one for being apologetic about what's happened. Sure. Um, certainly have my condolences towards the people who have been affected. But we should take it as an opportunity to come together to show that, you know what, no matter who you are, whether you're from the right wing, whether you're one of our fundamentalist friends, we are not going to let you divide us as mm. communities. We're going to come together and be stronger. Right. Assalamu alaikum. That was uh, the name Raza there. I'm going to go straight across to, to the line where uh, Sister uh, Rabiha Hanan is online. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Jazakallah for joining us on this uh, discussion show. Thank you. Um, and uh, I suppose apologies to all the um, guests because we've put them in the, on the spot last minute. Um, uh, but uh, events have overtaken us, as you appreciate, uh, Rabiha. And uh, I, I know earlier on you were saying how you're still in a state of a little bit of shock and disbelief that uh, once again there's, there's been, been this incident. Um, uh, moving on to can discussion dis- discussing the you know the uh, aspects that will come in the community now um and what uh, how we should be taking this message further forward we were discussing early on now that uh, you, you you felt that the number of um uh, 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 or so the negative response from this community has been more palpable but also uh, that uh, the uh, um, conspiracy theories uh, have been have increased uh, certainly since uh, since the, the, the horrific attacks in Manchester a few weeks ago um, why do you think this is starting well, to happen? Well, first of all, I can't, you know, start without sort of giving my heartfelt condo- condolences to the victims and their families, and it's just I can't even imagine what you know what they're going through. I'm from London. Um, right. I mean, I was born and brought up there, um, and uh, you know, I just can't even imagine, you know, being on the streets that I grew up on, and you know, studying on, you know, this awful, awful thing to have happened. Um, but, but yeah, you know, I mean, I think this, it brings up several issues. I mean, first of all, you know, as a Muslim, it's it, it, it makes me feel, you know, these people have yet again hijacked my religion, mm. you know, and and so, but the, the forefront of my mind is actually I need to try and you know go out and clarify to people, look, sure. this isn't what my faith is about. This isn't what my religion is about. Um, and and you know, um, the, the, you know, when when, it, it, when an attack is made on our land in our country, you know, it's it's our British family that's affected by it. That could include, yeah. you know, I mean, I say say that as my friends and what have you, but it could also be my family members, you know, that could be affected by it. So it affects us on, on many different levels. Um, and therefore, I just think as 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 Muslims, we should see our part, ourselves as part and parcel of society. Feel that we are collectively affected by all of this sort of, you know, these sorts of atrocities. But also, we have a collective. Response 
responsibility mm-hmm. to try and, and to try and deal with it. And for us to go into denial or make excuses or pretend that it's not actually happening mm. or other people are behind it, I just think it causes more problems and more animosity than good. Um, you know, there's a verse in the Quran um, that we often refer to which talks about this idea that suspicion in some cases is a sin. And for me, this is one of the verses that has kept coming up. You know, when people talk about conspiracy theories and, um, you know, make out that actually this is just an attack on Muslims or people are trying to, you know, um, box Muslims or whatever it is, you know, I think that this feeds the fitna that these awful people are trying Mm. to create, you know, by creating divisions, by further dividing us rather than, you know, creating some sort of solidarity of community, which is what we should, you know, ideally be aspiring for. But can you understand the perspective of a lot of Muslims there who who be thinking, look, these people have nothing to do with my religion, with my understanding of religion, um, and my belief is that, you know, because of the mess that's happening in the Middle East, because of the mess that's happening in Palestine, in Syria, in Yemen, uh, that's causing... Well, I think there's two things here, isn't there? I mean, you know, obviously I'm one of those Muslims that, you know, will say, look, this doesn't make sense to me. This doesn't mean, you know, my religion is so far away from this. You know, when Islam comes from the root word peace, how can this possibly fit in, you know, with my understanding of faith? So I I completely understand that. But for people to say that, look, it's because of foreign policy, that's not to say, you know, uh, I disagree with foreign policy. I I disagree with lots of foreign policies from countries all around the world. You know, as Muslims, we're taught that we have to stand up for justice, you know, even if it's against ourselves we have to stand up for honesty yeah and we have to call it out but does that justify people behaving in this particular way just because someone does something that's bad does it mean that we as muslims have the right to behave in in this vulgar way for me that goes completely against what islam teaches us um, you know, when we read verses in the Quran which tell us that when people have behaved badly to our, towards us, mm-hmm. we rise above that and behave in a better way, then how can this possibly fit in with our understanding of what Islam is? Um, and therefore, we have to, I, I believe, we have to be, actually be at the forefront of, you know, of fighting this and calling it out and, and saying it has nothing to do with our, with our faith. Dr. Salah, uh, we've touched upon this already. The the, the policy of the government, uh, um, uh, the, the uh, I can't even even say this word in here because so many people are so anti it. Um, um, uh, the, the the prevent uh, um, strategy that the government have followed and are continuing to follow uh, from Blair to 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 uh, um, the Conservative government right now. Um, it, uh, can we expect it to get even worse? I mean, what, what's your opinion on on on, the, on, on prevent uh, first of all? Unfortunately, the the governments have not been listening to the advice from the people who know things happening. Prevent or whatever was the original thing which happened two thousand and six <coughs> was always confusing two things: one, security, and Muslim community and everybody else have no problem at all with the police and the intelligence service, etc., doing all the best to find out if anyone is doing something wrong and stop that from happening. But the other part is where the uh, community is looked at as part of the problem uh, and community relations and work with the community has been confused with the security. And that has pushed a lot of people out of the work with the community in this area and make it difficult for people who can advise the young people, etc., about the dangers and the wrong things which is being done by this to be careful what to say and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So what I'm 
suggesting is really to build some kind of trust as a community, as a whole, and all these authorities. But that has to be in an environment which is helpful to this. Mm. The government policy, by confusing the security and the community work, is is making this more difficult. Abi, would, well, you, t- would, you, would you tend to agree with that? I mean, you, you've had some dealings um, with, with yeah, the DCLG. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think actually, no, I, I would, you know, from what I have seen of, you know, the idea of prevent, I would actually, um, you know, see it as a safeguarding policy. You know, I, I work as a pharmacist in a hospital, and we have safeguarding policies that we have to sort of go through every year and remind mm. ourselves of, so that if there is a, a person that is vulnerable, that comes in um, perhaps showing signs of domestic abuse or sexual exploitation or neglect. There's, you know, common characteristics that we will look out for and that should, um, you know, alert alarm bells for us so that we can actually try and protect that person, look after that person. Um, in, in this way, I think the prevent idea is, is the same. If, we're, if we feel that in certain institutions our young people are vulnerable or at risk of being groomed towards extremism, there has to be some mechanism in society in place that enables us to try and protect them. Um, that's what I understand Prevent as being. Um, and I think when that is done well, that's not to say Prevent has done, not been done badly mm-hmm. in places. I think it has been. But when it is done well, I think it completely fits in with what we as Muslims should be doing to make sure that our young people are safe and not exploited. Okay. Two, two things in this. First, uh, safeguarding exists already in many issues. And when we discussed this with education people, they said we have safeguards and we follow them before before prevent and we can find out the signs etc but prevent doesn't say what the signs are and also assumes that everyone works with the public knows Mm -hmm. what the signs are the training is really very very minimal so just creating that picture that the person is working as part of the security while he is part of the community, is confusing people. We need to have open discussion and free discussion so that people can talk mm. and do this. Uh, of course, a person like an imam will be very careful what to say because what he sees is that anything he says will be interpreted this way. We're not saying to stop. Actually, we want people to talk more and talk more about all these issues from Islamic point of view, from the human point of view, and that should be improved. The mm point which everybody keeps repeating is that community relations, and this is really what I think our action as a Muslim community to events like this should be, not just go on statements and say things and then end of the day. We should do what Islam tells us to do, uh, that we meet the evil deed by a good deed. Exactly. And we should improve our uh, work and relation with people around us all the time and talk to them and explain things to them if they want to have explanation and that is building that these relations away from the media and the politicians okay, and no. we, if we do this then we can gain the, the trust of all the people around sure. us and this way we can move because we keep thinking of the action yeah. Short-term jerks yeah. moving, but we need to look at the long-term. 
yes. within the community and with other communities. Exactly. Yeah, now, we are short of time, Rabbi, and we have to, I think we have to yeah, um, no, I mean, move I on to our sort of I totally agree with that, but um, I, I just wanted to sort of add just, you know, that look, we have to just be very aware of what these nasty people are trying to do. They are trying to instill um, a sense of fear, a sense of terror in people and create division. And what they are fundamentally trying to do is destroy our way of life by making out there is a them and us going on, there mm -hmm. is Muslims against the rest of the people in the society, and we have to make sure that we don't succumb to that. We have well, to remain united with all good people and humanity fighting on that against note, people. On that note, then, just to finish off, uh, the, the, the question really is, when, when you, the, the response from the Muslim community tends to be, look, it is to do with uh, 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 you know, international politics, etc., uh, and, and, and a very negative note. How do we respond to that, and how do we say, uh, uh, because people will then say, well, there's no, the, the, it seems as if there is uh, a greater um, value put next to the life of a British person in it or, uh, compared to the lives of people uh, across the world. I think the brothers just answered that. You know, he's, you know, the, the Quran is our example. And if someone commits an atrocity, if someone does something bad against us, then we have to, you know, replace that with with much better behaviour. We have to be much, you know, better people, much kinder people. Much, you know, so we have to look above that. But also, you know, we're we're all affected by foreign policy. Yeah, and that's Muslims and non-Muslims. And how do non-Muslims react to policies that they don't agree with? They get involved in the political process. They get involved in the democratic processes that we have or look at the legal institutions that we have to try and make a change, make a difference. We're all in the same boat. But here we're living in the society. We've, we're told by the scholars that once we, when we are here, we, we're bound by a contract that says that we live by the rules and the regulations of this society and we treat people with respect. Now, what these people are doing goes completely against that. Hmm. And therefore, we have to stand up and, and speak out against it. Jazakallah khair for joining us for this section of the debate and some very interesting points put by Jazakallah khair and Aslam alaikum. I guess now in the next section we're going to be focusing a little bit about um, I guess the authorities from one aspect so uh, the police aspect and also the government aspect as well. So we're very grateful to have um, Chief Inspector Shaheen Babur joining us. Aslam alaikum Shaheen. Wa alaikum salam. So it's uh, unfortunate it's in these sort of circumstances I guess that uh, We've had to call you back in, but I know it's been a really busy day for you today. Um, could you just summarise a little bit from the police Scotland response? Um, I know there's been various statements and stuff going out, but from the police aspect in terms of what's happened, uh, what could you tell us? Well, as we know, last night uh, there was another terrorist attack in London, and this follows on from Manchester a couple of weeks ago, and before that it was a Westminster attack in London. But in between all these attacks, we've also seen attacks in various other countries around the world that also affect our communities. Um, the attack last night, uh, everybody knows, they've been watching the news, seeing it on social media, a horrendous attack. Um, the method of that attack has, has been reported in the media, different from the Manchester attack. Uh, three individuals that took part in that attack were, were killed uh, uh, during the attack. Um, as far as we know, there were there are many injuries, uh, seven dead. As far as we know, um, but the effects you've seen, the response you've seen on social media, on mainstream media, affects a lot more people, wider and disrupts the communities and normal business. Okay, and Sheen, are you able to um, tell us? I mean, are we? Because I'll I'll tell. I guess I'm trying to get a sense of whether you. You're, I know it's a lot of sensitive information, but 
I mean, how likely is an attack in Scotland? I'll tell you why, because I guess um, I speak to a young person today, uh, somebody in primary school, and they were saying, well, um, I think Glasgow's going to be next. And I said, why? And they said, well, you know, because Glasgow's a big city and there's all these other things happening as well, and just a matter of time. I mean, in Scotland, I mean, where are we at? Are we facing the same issues and problems? Um, and are things as imminent and um, vulnerable? Are, are we as vulnerable as a community here as we as anybody living in London? It's an interesting question from a young person uh, that, that, that's come to you. But uh, what we have is the the UK threat level, which is at severe, which means a, an attack is highly likely, uh, and that's a UK threat level. So attacks can happen anywhere, um, but there is no information no intelligence to suggest that there's any threat to Scotland or any city or communities of Scotland. However, having said all that, we have to still be vigilant. We have to be aware of the methods uh, of these attacks. It could be random. It could be lone actors. Somebody could take it upon themselves. But at the same time, we need to be careful on how we dialogue about this because we don't want to raise the fears of our communities. Our message is that we have to be vigilant, we have to be aware, but we have to go about our normal business, our normal day-to-day life. We don't want to disturb people's normal business. So be vigilant, uh, but don't be alarmed. And one of the other um, fallouts from when, when these sort of incidents happen is, I guess, um, with, with the Muslim community and individuals are a victim, and I guess we're a victim in many different ways, but particularly this aspect of... Um, hate crime, um, I guess at the moment, whenever we hear these messages from politicians and from police, etc., it's very much saying, you know, these sort of things won't be tolerated, communities shouldn't be discriminated against. So could you just take us through, I guess, you know, what should people do? I mean, a lot of Muslims are going to school tomorrow, they'll be going to work tomorrow, um, sisters wear, you know, that are visibly wearing hijab, etc. They might feel a bit more vulnerable, I think, particularly things like the mosques and you know, Tarawih and etc., where people are coming together. So, as a Muslim community, this whole aspect of perhaps feeling vulnerable, and I guess we're a victim in two ways. One is from the people that have done this and using our religion and our name to say it, and we've got nothing to do with that. But also the fallout from you know other people that aren't Muslims that are angry, upset, and and react in a way. So, what advice would you give from Police Scotland to the Muslim community to say actually how do we deal with any abuse? Because even I've seen on Facebook. There's comments from random people, die, um, you know, your cult, your religion, go back, go abroad, etc. So just talk us through a bit about what your advice would be. Well, there's a number of issues there that you've raised, uh, but first of all, I'll go straight into reporting of hate crime. So if anybody suffers any kind of hate incident, racist, religious prejudice, Islamophobic, if they don't even understand exactly what's going on, take some advice, but I would say that they need to report these incidents to the police. And am I right in saying a hate crime, because some people will say, I don't know if this constitutes a hate crime or not, is it more about your perception if you feel that this is something that you feel yeah, threatened? So, so just define what we mean by a hate crime. Well, first of all, I mean, a hate crime is... is, is that's why I said if, if somebody feels they've been racially abused or something uh, that's Islamophobic that's been said or done, um, then they have to report that. Um, don't think, is it a crime, is it not? It's not for, for you to, to define if it's a crime or not. If it's perception that there's some kind of prejudice act has taken place, then report it to the police. 
999 if it's an emergency, 101, other incidents that may be online, social media, you can report hate crimes on the Police Scotland website on an online form, you can make it anonymous, you can phone Crime Stoppers, you can also go to third party reporting centres, many in, in, in for example, in Glasgow, there's almost who's in, who's in Glasgow and some of the famous uh, or some of the more popular. Well, for example, the uh, Amina, the Women's Women, uh, Muslim Women's Resource Centre, uh, is one. Um, I believe I think Glasgow Central Mosque is becoming one as well. But the Police Scotland website will give you those third-party reporting centres. But more importantly, um, whether going to a reporting centre or phoning 101, you need to take advice, ask family and friends. There's a very good network, contact Radio Ramadan for example, and report these incidents. And why I emphasise that is the more incidents that are reported, the more understanding that the police will have of the tensions in the community. Just now, there's no notable rise in hate crimes since even after the Manchester attack in, in Scotland. However, we are aware because of social media activity, mainstream media talking about these issues, that the concerns, the fears in the communities, in all communities, not just the Muslim communities, is raised. Um, tensions may not be, but fears definitely are. And what would your message be, because I know we're very short of time, there's still some elements of the community that mistrust the police and authorities, etc. Um, and what would your message be to them that don't feel actually, look, please, government, they're part of the problem here? Well, there's two things here. First of all, what we're talking about hate crime reporting. So I do know whatever anybody has an opinion uh, of politics, of policing in general, of counter-terrorism, if that's what you mean, See, when the time of need comes, when they need help, they will call the police. And I encourage that, that test the police, call the police, and if the police don't do their job right, then that's a separate matter and we'll look at it. But really, we need to instill confidence in the public to report these incidents to the police, because if we don't know about them, then how can we deal with these issues? And any final message for people that are running mosques and community centres and other sort of organisations, um, what would your message be to them? Because I guess you've given messages to individuals, but as you know, is there things that we could be doing to protect ourselves just to make sure that we're not a bit more vulnerable? Or where do they go to get some more help? Well, police have engaged, local policing has engaged with uh, most uh, mosques in Scotland pre-Ramadan. We do... Uh, uh, a Ramadan um, practical brief for police officers on our intranet system. So we do that a couple of weeks before Ramadan starts, is to make all police officers aware of here's the dates, this is when Ramadan's starting, and these are the, the timings when the mosques will be busy and very active late at night and early morning. So local officers have engaged with most mosques, and the advice has been given, safety advice has been given. However, there's a responsibility on the community as well, so you have to be more vigilant. If there's any suspicious activity, then report that to the, the, the local police. Um, again, I want to emphasise that people must go about their business as normal, but be vigilant. We don't want to change things. We want people to engage and interact and, and, uh, and engage in other communities as well. We don't want people to have the fear, but we want people to be aware that we do have an issue. The threat level is severe. We do have these kind of issues that are happening more and more regularly. Since Paris in uh, 2015, there's been numerous uh, attacks, similar lone actors, small groups, different kinds of um, 
attacks in the last three we've seen in, in London and Manchester as well. So we have to continue to be vigilant, but we have to continue to engage and talk with each other, report issues that come to our attention, be it suspicious activity, uh, be it uh, in relation to hate crime. But one other thing I'd like to say as well, we do live in the best part of the best country in the world. We have rules and we have laws. Policing, counter-terrorism, there are a lot of issues that we have to deal with. However, we have to engage and we have to solve this problem together. Okay, Jazakallah Khair, uh, Shaheen, uh, Chief Inspector Shaheen Baba from Police Scotland, really giving us a, a police perspective in terms of how we could be reacting and how to deal with many of these issues that we're facing. Um, so it's really, you know, I guess for me it's the real message is be vigilant and, and, you know, get people involved, get authorities involved sooner rather than later. Uh, so Jazakallah Khair, Shaheen, I know you're really busy and you need to get back to... Um, your your work and Shah, um, Sajid, we, uh, we've got another guest. Alhamdulillah, we've just been joined uh, live in the studio uh, by uh, Hamza Yusuf. Assalamu alaikum, Hamza. Assalamu Hamza, of course, uh, many uh, most of our listeners will know, uh, formerly MSP and MP um, uh, in 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 Glasgow um, and the Glasgow Pollocka constituency. Um, uh, this comes at a very difficult time. We, we we've discussed aspects of the politics already, um, uh, Hamza, in terms of the responses from all the parties. Um, and uh, in particular, the response from Theresa May uh, uh, this 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 morning, um, and the ramifications of that. But if I could uh, maybe ask you to just to comment a little bit about, uh, from the Scottish perspective, um, uh, w- w- what kind of ramifications can we now expect uh, um, uh, uh, in the next in the coming months? Um, first of all, uh, assalamu alaikum to all your. Uh, listeners, uh, it's a pleasure to be back on Ramadan, but of course we prefer to be talking about a, a different subject all of us would be, uh, rather than mm-hmm. having to, to, to face to this one, but nonetheless it's always good to, to engage with uh, Radio Ramadan and, and, and your listeners now, I can't even count what year you're into in Radio Ramadan now 21, but, 21 alhamdulillah uh, so uh, you know, it's good to, to, to be back um, much of, of what I say would echo what uh, Shaheen no doubt and others uh, have said. I mean, first and foremost, our thoughts goes goes to those that have lost their lives, their families. Um, you know, I uh, struggle with the emotion of it sometimes to think that uh, you're leaving your house to go for a night out, to spend some time with friends, to go for a walk across London Bridge, to go to a concert, to go wherever it is uh, that you're going to, in the case of Paris, into a football match. Uh, and then you expect to see your loved ones and that's it, you won't see them uh, ever again, you won't get to say the last words that you plan to maybe say to someone that you love, a husband, a wife, a, a son, a daughter. Uh, and the more I think about that, the more uh, I have to say upset uh, that, that, I, that I get. So first and foremost, thoughts are with the families and the friends of the victims who will never get to say those last words to their loved ones uh, ever again. Uh, secondly, my thoughts and thanks and praise for our emergency services. Um, a man touched upon it uh, a second ago that um, sometimes the relationship with the authorities and the police can be a tense one. I experienced that myself. I was stopped and searched on many occasions as a young young Muslim male uh, here in Glasgow, sometimes by the British Transport Police and Railway Station, sometimes by Police Scotland, well, in a car or in a friend's car. Um, and that relationship was sometimes tense. Uh, but I'll tell you what, uh, I would want no one, and there is no one better uh, at a time of terror and crisis than our police, whether that's Met Police, whether that's Police Scotland. Um, the pictures from yesterday and some of the video footage that your listeners may have seen, that uh, when everybody else was running away from the danger, they were running towards it, mm. uh, and they put their lives on the line every single day of the week. 
Uh, and third and, and, and foremost in terms of the ramifications, to answer your question directly in terms of the ramifications mm-hmm. for, for Scotland, I think it's important to reiterate what Shaheen has already said, there's no specific threat to, to Scotland that we know of intelligence-wise, but the threat level remains as it is, that um, you know attack is, is highly uh, likely. Interestingly, of course, the government haven't, or it's not the government, the, the joint um, committee that, that, that looks at this in terms of intelligence, hasn't chosen to increase the threat yep. level as they did uh, after the previous attack. Um, now, that might change, and of course, it's, as I say, it's, it's, it's independent of government that that decision uh, is taken. Um, but nonetheless, uh, in Scotland, you will see, as you saw after the Manchester attacks, perhaps an increased police presence. People saw that uh, armed police more on their streets, and that uh, you know gave a lot of people some, some reassurance. For some people, it doesn't, but for a lot of people, it gives them um, and that reassurance. So that's where we are in, in terms of, mm. of Scotland, and I think we should always be vigilant. Um, there's no reason why you know an attack can happen if it can happen in Manchester, of course. But what's the best way forward now, as 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 a community, and for the the politicians such as yourself within this community? You you've obviously served in the cabinet here in Scotland, um, and have dealt with international relations, um, and have got a much better uh, uh, steer on that. Uh, what should now be the response by uh, the politicians to to these this this slew of attacks? Now the three different attacks have happened in the last uh, month or month and a half or so. Yeah, again, uh, I've got a, I've got a few ideas, and I'm mm-hmm. more than happy for uh, you know you and others to, to interject at any point if I'm, I'm kind of rambling on. But the first thing is to say that there's no obvious answer. If somebody had the sure. obvious answer, we wouldn't be facing these these issues and these problems in the first place. And also, there's sometimes very lazy assumptions. Uh, mm-hmm by people that uh, there's one solution to all. Well, you stop all foreign intervention in the Middle East and we won't have any more terrorism. It's uh, stupid uh, to think that. Ignorant in the, in, 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 in the most extreme. But at the same time, let's not pretend that foreign policy has nothing to do with it. I saw when a number of politicians, um, you know, for the First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, made this point last week that, uh, you know, let's not be ignorant that uh, foreign, to say, suggest that foreign policy has nothing to do with radicalisation would be, would, be, would be ludicrous. But equally to think it has every Thing to do with radicalisation would be equally as, as, as ludicrous. So th- there's definitely things for government and, and I suppose in essence the UK government that has still lead responsibility for foreign relations <coughs> and international relations and, and foreign policy. There's some really, I think what upsets people around the foreign policy is the lurid hypocrisy that exists within foreign policy. So um, you know, one question that is now being asked, which I hope when Parliament returns on Thursday, that should be asked is our foreign relationship with Saudi Arabia. Uh, you know, it's something that's been raised by some of my colleagues, but also colleagues from different political parties, that our relationship with Saudi Arabia really has to be questioned. Um, you know, are we are we content to be silent on the fact that we sell arms, billions of dollars worth or pounds worth of arms to a regime that is um, bombing innocents in Yemen? Is that something that we are happy to be silent on and complicit on? There's also, of course, not just Saudi's foreign policy, but there's also Saudi Arabia's um, ideology uh, and the questions in around some of that ideology that's being funded by petrol billions around the world. So there's a foreign policy element, and I suppose the second thing, because I know people might want to come back, is that Muslim community ourselves, we have to be honest, I think. I think we've not been honest with ourselves for uh, many years, that um, there is a perversion of our religion going on. Yes, of course, it's nothing to do with Islam. We say that Islam means peace. Islam doesn't condone it. Whoever kills an innocent life mm-hmm. is as though you killed the whole of humanity. Everybody knows that. 
Everybody's heard it. Everybody's seen the social media pages. Everybody's seen the Facebook posts. Everybody's seen the memes. Everybody's seen all of that. But let's not pretend that there doesn't exist a strain mm. of intolerance within our uh, own Muslim community here in Glasgow. Let's not pretend it doesn't exist. I can give you 101 examples of where that exists, whether that's against the Ahmadiyya community, whether that exists against the Shia community, uh, whether that exists uh, against communities of different orientations, sexual orientations or others. Now, I'm not saying you have to suddenly uh, change your beliefs at all not in the slightest, uh, but to suggest that there's not some level of intolerance which uh, is you know, a step removed from hatred and division mm-hmm. uh, doesn't exist and I think that would be ignorant. And I don't know who's best to answer this, but one of the real contentious issues is uh, this aspect of prevent. Uh, so for those I think most people will be familiar, but I guess where I'm coming from is, I think perhaps we all agree that there needs to be a counter-terrorism strategy and the idea is obviously prevent has been one that's been you know heralded from the Scot- uh, from the UK government for many years, has lost a lot of uh, trust and um, uh, within the community that it's you know affecting, it's particularly the Muslim communities feel victimised by this whole prevent strategy, feel that's unfair, etc. So can you explain either one of you um, what is the prevent strategy in Scotland? Do you think it's a good strategy? Um, this whole counterterrorism. So I don't know whether a lot of this is above your pay grade or not. But is that you know, the, you know, Joe? Everyone, nearly everyone I meet, mistrust prevent, and says, look, it doesn't work. It's not good for us, and it targets us. And this targeting of us as Muslims reinforces that feeling of alienation. And then, for we think that also then leads to people feeling disconnected from society, and then, you know, ending up doing whatever. So I don't, Shaheen, do you want to comment on that? Yes. Um Obviously, people have heard about the prevent strategy, or some some people have heard about it. Not everybody would know exactly what it is, and many people go with what they hear and what they hear of rumours or on social media or so. But really, a lot of people don't really understand what it is. Not many people have actually looked into the the prevent strategy in detail. Yes, there are some people that have that understanding, but the prevent strategy is part of the UK government's counter terrorism strategy. It's, it's, it's an overall. St- part of the overall counter-terrorism strategy. So PREVENT in 2011 was reviewed by the UK government at the time and they expanded it to all forms of extremism. In Scotland, PREVENT gradually came into being from 2011 onwards. So our starting point in Scotland has been all forms of extremism. So extreme right-wing issues, domestic extremism and Islamist-inspired international terrorism uh, inspired terrorism also was looked at. But really, just to give you a synopsis of how PREVENT in Scotland exists, first of all, I would say it's, it's a Scottish approach. PREVENT is flexible. It is suitable for whatever communities it's supposed to engage with. For us, PREVENT is a safeguarding issue. It's not a counter-terrorism issue. It's about safeguarding vulnerable individuals. It's about working with existing safeguarding and public protection processes like child protection and adult protection. In Scotland, we don't have the channel process, which many people who understand prevent would understand what channel is. In England and Wales, they have the channel process where people who are vulnerable to extremism or radicalisation can be referred to the channel process. In Scotland we don't have channel, we have existing uh, safeguarding processes. Now I would challenge anybody who has any knowledge of PREVENT to raise with me a point about PREVENT in Scotland. How does it affect 
the Muslim communities, it really doesn't. If you think about it, nobody really has any uh, um, content or uh, story to tell where police in Scotland have overreacted or have been insensitive in relation to any case of radicalisation or extremism. There has been issues, there has been cases, but we've not really had that kind of response, as people may think they know from some historical events that may have happened in other parts of the UK. Thank you, Shane. And I'm very mindful that it's a big, massive topic mm. and it yes. wouldn't be doing it justice, but uh, I was interested to hear your comments. Hamza, if I could just ask you, um, a lot of the rhetoric from uh, a lot of the statements that Theresa May has made today, sounds like it's going to be prevent plus, 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 really. She's saying things like, enough is enough, um, there's too much tolerance of extremism in our country, she's talking about tightening up and longer sentences, etc. Mm. How much control or how much influence does the Scottish government have in mitigating whatever policies are made in Westminster? So if she's deciding X, Y and Z, you know, there's going to be a more restricted, and the, and the concern for many Muslims just in the last 24 hours is, you know, what's the impact for us going to be? Um, does yeah. the Scottish government have to do whatever is done so down south? Or can yeah, you? I mean, look, trying not to get political about it, but as a politician, that can sometimes be difficult. Um, but, uh, you know, my view on this is that the more control that we had over, over uh, counter-terrorism uh, and, and, and uh, other such strategies from the Scottish Government, uh, the better, because we could tailor our approach. Similar to Shaheen's already described it, but if we could tailor it, then, then, then we would. But look, for the sake of, of putting on the record, the Scottish Government, the UK Government, you know, the intelligence relationship is obviously uh, a solid one and, and, and one that we rely on to keep mm. our citizens safe, and that's worth putting on the record. A couple of things. I, I noted from Theresa May's speech a couple of interesting things. One, that her language which, was, of course, was very strong and, and, and robust, um, and, and often Prime Ministers will, will try to do that to give some reassurances, and I'll come back to that in a second. But I thought, interestingly, she hinted at looking again at Prevent. You know, she did seem to allude to the fact that uh, she would look at it again, which I think would, would be welcome, because I think in England and Wales it doesn't work very well. It's often seen as being using organisations that have zero credibility within the Muslim community um, and those community group, grassroots organisations aren't supported to do the work that they, they need to do uh, necessarily whereas up in Scotland I think there's a much better community uh, approach. In terms of your actual question, the, the kind of more robust language and the strong language from Theresa May about what's done next um, we have to be really really careful uh, that the UK government doesn't bring in draconian measures that look to uh, restrict people's civil liberties. Uh, it was often said at the times of the IRA troubles that internment, i.e., you know, locking mm -hmm. Irish into uh, into jails without any due process, really, uh, was the greatest rec recruiting sergeant the IRA ever mm -hmm. had. So if we went back to a place where Theresa May or any UK government decided to restrict the civil liberties, spied on mosques, spied on Muslim community organisations, then you know the Scottish government no doubt would, would resist that as we have previously. We resisted, and I'll just end on this point, that we resisted very strongly the Scottish government, SNP-led Scottish government previously, when the UK government wanted to use universities to effectively spy on Islamic societies and, and Scottish universities respond very robustly uh, to that. Although I said that was the last point, so the very, very last point <laughs> I think is, is, is important to make is um, the Prevent needs to, as well as we need to think about how do we tackle the, the social isolation issue. Mm. You, know, you take somebody like Salman uh, Abedi, um, without knowing his, his life story and history, what is it that makes a 22-year-old, forget everything else in the mm. politics and the international and everything, what is it that makes a 22-year-old be willing to give up his life? And anybody who talks about 
suicide always links it to helplessness, um, isolation, um, unable to, to yes, I losing hope. Uh, and how much do we tackle that? Now, suicide bombing is obviously slightly different to what might be a, another suicide, but uh, I think this tackling social isolation uh, and, and our role in that as a community is, is hugely important. Just lastly, because we, we do have to go across to, uh, to our final guest, uh, Sheikh Rudwan, to talk a bit more about the theological aspect of all this. Uh, but um, from the sort of community aspect and the response from Muslims as well, um, it, you, you mentioned the IRA there, of course, and th- th- there's been nobody commenting, and I understand, and of course it goes without saying the sympathy is there for the, all the victims in the last uh, few months that have um, uh, suffered at the hands of these murderers. Um, but a, uh, people will, 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 will raise a question mark in terms of the con- uh, uh, contextually worldwide. When you look at the number of deaths and the number of people that have uh, been killed uh, in the UK and the number of incidences you're talking on, you can count on the number of your hands uh, in terms of the number of uh, incidences. Um, and if you compare to the the, the the terrorist instances in the IRA in the 70s and 80s, it outstrips it, you know, a thousand times over. So are we actually just blowing this out of proportion? People would actually question us having this debate on the radio station right now. Why we why have we put together an emergency debate discussing these issues, talking about them? Um, any life that is lost is a life that is, uh, in, in, in this manner, is a life lost in vain and is a terrible act. However... Can we, is there not a sense of context in terms of... Mm, I'll maybe say something that's probably fairly controversial to your, your listeners, but I think the Muslim community suffers at times from a victimhood, from a victimhood mentality. And, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, I'll give you two examples, actually. Uh, one was when the Paris attacks happened, and I couldn't believe it when I looked on my Facebook, and maybe it's just my social media feed, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm not getting the temperature right, but when I looked at my social media... The, the number of Muslims that had posted up, oh, what about the attack in Afghanistan or mm. Pakistan or mm-hmm. Palestine? Why does that not get a flag mm. on Facebook? So instead of the natural human response, which should be when somebody loses a life regardless of religion, creed or colour, being to empathise, because empathy is what makes us human. So the inability to empathise at that moment and instead look towards some foreign policy, politic, political issue, to me shows a real victimhood mentality. And that's not to say that we shouldn't be, of course, raising our voices for the people that died in Kabul. People argue they are empathetic. They would say that they empathise and everybody apologises. That should should be the first reaction is my point. However, when when they say, when when you look at the number of thousands of lives that have been lost, and of course, just from drone attacks alone in Pakistan um, by by the American government, you know, over the last number of years, you know, you're talking thousands of people have lost their lives. So I've taken part in more marches than I can remember and probably more than uh, with the greatest respect anybody in the studio and, and even I imagine sure. a lot of listeners uh, against foreign policy interventions mm-hmm. whether that was in Iraq um, Afghanistan uh, or indeed many other foreign interventions and, and indeed for, for the, the injustices sure. in, in Palestine but interestingly I've never seen in fact I've only seen one organisation no not that one one demonstration standing up uh, against terror in Europe, committed by people doing it in our name falsely, perverting our religion. And that is my point. So when you ask about mm-hmm. scale, why is it that exactly as you're saying, 
every life matters, whether it's mm -hmm. a Palestinian life, a Parisian life, or indeed somebody who's been lost a life in London or in the United Kingdom. My worry is sometimes that actually immediately when someone here, I mean, I think this is not to target everybody the same way, but I think there's definitely something here that our first response must be empathy, and, and, and that's where it should be at that moment in time. And then, of course, question and, and ask the question, why are, why are the attacks in these other parts of the world uh, not raised, not talked about as much? But also understand the context you're living in. You're living in the United Kingdom. Um, you know, you're living, you're part of these communities. It's hardly a surprise that BBC is going to lead on this news and not lead on, uh, you know, a, a, an attack in a, in a marketplace in Kabul. That's not to say that's right. My point is just understand that context uh, and that's sometimes the way it is. But, to, you know, uh, for me, the, the, there's not an easy solution to this and I know you've got uh, a more important guest, obviously, to speak to in a second. But I would just say that there's not an easy solution. If there was, somebody would have figured it out. Yes, talk about foreign policy. Mm -hmm. Yes, let's talk about some of the difficult conversations we have to have about tolerance in our own communities. Uh, and let's have a very honest, let's have a very frank debate and work with the authorities, but also it's going to take the communities to, to root out this cancer that exists in our society. Thank you so much, Hamza. Um, just, uh, we've got Sheikh Rizwan, which um, be interesting to hear his thoughts on many of these aspects. Uh, just um, a comment from f somebody on Facebook Live, Brother Khurshid, um, and really a commentary rather than opening up another discussion, but his comments about prevent, that he feels that it's another name for what the Nazis used to weed out Jewish sympathisers. He feels it's a case of this uh, reporting on your neighbours and suspicion and that there's no justification for prevent. So uh, I guess there's this whole idea of suspicion out there, isn't there, about prevent? That's a large corner of worms, unfortunately, to get dictated. We can't, and, and it's a shame, actually, we can't get more responses from the community. And perhaps we'll have more discussions where we have a phone and we can have more time for the listeners to actually express their opinions. Prevent, a massive, massive issue, which uh, we can't just cover. And we have covered, actually, many times on Ramadan in the past. So I'd like to, to move the discussion on. Sheikh Rudan, uh, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Uh, Jazakallah khair for joining us uh, this evening. I know you will be... Uh, continuing the program after on, on the reflection show and uh, um, uh, but but we've discussed a lot of the political side we've discussed a lot from the community perspective our response what it should be we've discussed the safety perspective um, but a lot of people will be uh, you know just asking the same question how can anybody justify this in the name of our religion Bismillahirrahmanirrahim um, <clears throat> that's a question, that's a natural question that um, Muslims, young Muslims specifically have. I mean, I, one of the issues um, that I think is important in this context within, insularly within the Muslim community is the effect uh, this constant kind of newsfeed of Muslims uh, committing acts of this type is having on the, on, the, on, the, on the psyche of young Muslims growing up and living in the society. And I, I taught a, a six-week module just um, three, three months ago mm. on, on, the, on the topic of religious violence. And I, I, when, I, when I started the lesson, the first lesson, I said to, to the students, I said, you need to know this, I'm, this, this content I'm teaching you in the same way that you know your arkan of wudu, you know, you know your, your, your pillars of wudu, how to make it. You can, do it, cl you can close your eyes and, and um, make wudu. You should be able to contextualize violence, religious violence, to the point that you're sure that this type of action is not done in the name of our faith. But also, part of it was actually to take a, a historical view of what religious violence is, but also what violence is, so that young people, when they're bombarded with this idea that Islam is, uh, in a sense, to blame, and the people that are doing it uh, ostensibly look Muslim and claim to um, be part of our faith and, and use the, the, the terms 
and 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 the kind of you know mm. kind of phrases that we would expect. Mm. You know, when you when you listen to news, the first thing you hear is this kind of person with a Cockney a- accent saying, "Well, I heard the person run away, and they were saying Allahu Akbar," and you know, oh no, not again. But obviously, that is your litmus test to say it is going to be um, very clearly laid at the, at, the, at the feet of our faith. And the thing that, um, for me, I mean, if it wasn't the fact that I knew the religious teachings so well, I would question um, my faith. And I, if I was a nominal Muslim and I was, you know, born, brought up in a Muslim family, you know, I prayed in Ramadan and only in Ramadan and, and fasted just in Ramadan. And otherwise I was just, you know, part and parcel of normal society. My faith wasn't important. I would be at the situation where I would say that there must be something about this faith which makes it have a propensity towards violence. If it wasn't the fact that I knew my faith very well in its context and historical development, you can, you can, you can unanimously say that there's no justification for this type of action. And what, what is at the core of this is, is a specific reading of Islam which um, tends to um, come out of specific trends in, in, in the 19th century and 20th century, mm-hmm. which are a result of colonialism and imperialism, but have reached almost like a crescendo now because of you know the Arab Spring, and just before that you have you know the kind of the kind of the kind of onslaught on, onslaught of of the dictatorships in the Middle East. So it's not just a question of saying is it part of religion or not, does Islam condemn it or not. The issue is why are these people constantly taking the name of Islam when they do the acts? Because other people, when they have political um, grievances, they do the act, but they never bring religion into it. And this, mm. really, I think the issue for Muslims is that there is, I mean, I think, you know, when I speak to people, you know, people will say, you know, the kind of knee-jerk reaction is, well, what about Afghanistan or what about, you know, that's, the, that's kind of one aspect. Other aspect is, well, foreign policy. I mean, for me, if, if I hear that type of language from a person, I, I completely lose respect. Mm. For, the, for the fact that it's such a black and white um, reaction to something that is actually so complex. Because foreign policy in and of itself, actually it's, it's to do with uh, your education and, and the ability... I was teaching a, a, a module on, on formal logic, Aristotle, Aristotelian logic. It's basically a very boring topic. But it actually helps you understand um, when, how something has, when something has to happen. So we talk about, in, in logic, you talk about sufficient con- conditions and necessary conditions. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's a necessary condition to get to university that you have the grades, but it's not sufficient. Why? Because you can apply for the university, you've got straight A's, and you want to get, get into medicine. The university is going to decide whether you get in or not. You have to have the grades, but you don't get in. And foreign policy is a necessary condition for some people, and some people say, no, it's not foreign policy, but let's just say it's a necessary condition. It is not a sufficient c- condition for violence. Right. That, is, that has to be made very, very clear. It means that even if you have grievances, and this goes back to the Sira, and you can give thousands of examples from the Sira, the Prophet had conditions which were um, necessary conditions for him to take revenge, and he did not take revenge. The conquest of Mecca, which was a situation in human history where uh, somebody who'd been thrown out and tortured in his own city was thrown out and now came back to conquer it. There was, there was necessary components there for him to take retribution and slaughter everybody in that city. He did not do it because there's no direct correlation. And the reason why there's no direct correlation is that we are human moral agents, that we have the ability to go beyond this kind of animalistic revenge mentality. And as Muslims, we are our teachers of ourselves. 
our religious tradition is something that teaches us our morals and what is right and what is wrong. We do not learn from the Tamil Tigers that you can just mm. kill innocent people. You know, this kind of trend of the, the late 90s of, of Sunni Islam um, and even Shia Islam, just slightly before that, taking on this idea of killing innocent people without any regard for life is a very foreign element to our faith. It wasn't part and parcel of Salah al-Din Ayyubi. It wasn't part and parcel of Khalid bin Walid or you know, Omar ibn al-Khattab, our great leaders. So if you want to talk about um, this question, you have to recognize the complexity of, of, of the issue that we have in front of us. Uh, we are painfully aware that we have to kind of tr- round up the show. We will be continuing uh, um, uh, with this aspect of it with, with yourself and Zubair um, uh, talking about um, uh, or reflecting on, on some of these issues. Um, if I could finish off just on a, a couple of uh, uh, points, and I'm, I'm painfully aware that it's uh, that it's it, that uh, these are very nuanced issues issues that disc- that require a lot of time and discussion. As, as you already mentioned, I've I've attended an, a day course with you um, on some of these on some of these issues, and and that wasn't enough. But two things: one is a lot of people call these people Muslims. Uh, you know, if they have committed suicide, if they have committed these heinous acts, and secondly, what can be done to challenge? Uh, what can we begin to do to challenge uh, some of these these extreme viewpoints? And perhaps that's something you can perhaps take to the next program. Yeah, so the first thing, can we call them Muslims? The issue here, I mean, Tahir al-Qadri, a very famous scholar from Pakistan, he actually mm. came out with a very important fatwa, famous fatwa, in which he said categorically that they're not Muslims. I think it's la- slightly more nuanced in the sense that if a person engages in an act where people who are innocent are going to be killed and considered it to be lawful and permitted in Islamic law to do that, they have forfeited their right to be called part and part of this Muslim community. Mm-hmm. Because of the fact that killing innocent people, a person who's not responsible for something, and considering to be permitted in Islamic law, it takes you outside the fold. In the same way a Muslim says, I'm going to open my fast with a, with a glass of wine, and it's perfectly permitted and it's, it's laudable to do that. I'm sorry. The Islamic faith is, is a vast faith. Can, can I just clarify? So there's a distinction there. Mm-hmm. Um, about the example, of, for example, with alcohol. Mm-hmm. There's obviously Muslims that drink, mm-hmm. and that doesn't necessarily take them out with the faith. But do you mean if they say that is now acceptable to? Yes, they say. Just to clarify if, that yeah, notion. So, I guess. so the issue is they do it, and they say it's perfectly justified mm-hmm. for me in the Islamic faith to take innocent lives. In the same way, it's perfectly okay for me, uh, as a Muslim, to drink wine, and God would would laud me and praise me for doing that. So it's the, it's the aspect of doing it, saying my religion tells me to do this, and saying Allahu Akbar while you're doing it, and and claiming that you're part and parcel of the Islamic faith. I think that kind of nuance and that kind of distinction means that every single Muslim scholar should agree on that. Mm. Whereas what Tahir al-Qadri said was that he, he just said that these groups, just by holding that view, are non-Muslims. So, a lot of Muslim scholars had a problem with that, but a person who, who is about to do it and says it's permitted, they leave the fold. So, just to clarify that, so you're saying they would be dying in a state of disbelief? They're dying in a state of disbelief, because this Which is, is against the whole narrative and the rhetoric. Because they, mm. they feel this is their means to jannah, isn't it? They feel I mean, by it, doing this act, yeah, this is their, their salvation. I mean, one of my teachers, Sheikh Abdul Razak, had in fact the greatest of my teachers. He was the greatest scholar in Syria. He was approached by a person. His his, I think one of his relatives had died in a suicide bombing in in in, in Israel, and he asked the sheikh to pray for him. And, and the sheikh said, look, you're, whoever it is, they're going to hellfire. You cannot kill yourself and kill innocent people. And he was in the, mid- he was in the corner of the Umayyad mosque. He sat there. He's been sitting there for 30, 40 years, passed away three years ago. 
rahmatullah alayhi, he was so clear, he's not affiliated with any government. He, he was known to not have um, capitulated to the Assad regime even before the, 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 the current conflict. He knew the theology and the law, Islamic law behind this. You kill yourself or you kill innocent people, you know your destination. Now you will go there and you will, you will you'll realize your destiny. Yeah? And there's no point in saying, well, we'll pray for the person and the, in, their intention was okay. Because intentionality here has nothing to do with it. If you have a good intention and you're doing something that is known to be wrong, it's wrong. You understand? So a lot of people say, well, their intention is to raise the banner of Islam and to support Muslims that are weak. If what you do is haram, it's haram. The intention does not purify it. And that's what a lot of Muslims need to get through their, their mind is just saying, well, they will, this is all they can do. Well, all they have done is gone into hellfire. It's as simple as that. You have to be very blunt in certain issues mm-hmm. where your intention, saying you have a, the right intention, or my heart's in the right place, or they were good people, and I used to know them, he was a, very fan, he was a fantastic neighbor, doesn't cut it in terms of our religious law. Our religious law is very clear in certain things. And a lot of things it's not. It's very vague, but this is not one of those things. Painfully, we've come to the, the, the most difficult aspect of, of the show, the theological aspect, and are asking for sound bites from the Sheikh here. So uh, you obviously entered into a huge area in itself in terms of what we know, what brings someone to, Sajj, in, uh, to the fold of Islam. I mean, However, we have to... We do, uh, I understand that, but we've run out of time. <laughs> Basically, we've run out of time for this. There was the aspects of which we'll come on to. I think uh, we'll, we'll continue on uh, in the next show um, what can be done to challenge this extreme na- extremist narrative. So, inshallah... Uh, with uh, the Reflection Show, uh, the host uh, Zubair Malik and uh, with Sheikh Rudwan, we can cover a little bit more about that aspect. Uh, for today, Jazakallah uh, for listening uh, for the last couple of hours and to all our guests, um, uh, again, for them t- taking up the time and the schedules coming and also giving up all their time, uh, five minutes of their time uh, and, and coming on here and painfully we've cut them off rather viciously. Uh, so Jazakallah to them all uh, for, for that time. Uh, I hope and pray we've covered this topic to some degree, again, all small amounts and much much more discussion needs to happen amongst the Muslim community and um, amongst uh, everyone. And also, please do attend all the courses that are run by Sheikh Sheikh Erdogan and many other courses out there to, to really understand this nuanced issue just in, a, uh, in, in more detail. But for us just now on the radio station, Jazakar Khair, Assalamu Alaikum, Warahmatullahi Barakatuh. For more information and to listen to more podcasts, visit us at arc.score or check out the Arc Media app.